One Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. You had plenty of time there. Matthew chapter 2. And uh, I'm going to read a little more scripture today uh, than I normally do. I'm actually going to read the whole whole passage, um, uh, the whole chapter there. I heard a cough. I don't know if that was in response to my reading the whole chapter, but uh, I'm going to read this whole chapter, verses 1 to 23, okay? Is that all right? Everybody's good with that? Okay, good. So we'll start at verse 1, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. I think we've got it up on the screen. We're going to have it up on the screen. There it is. Fantastic. Okay. It says this in verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered together the chief priests and the scribes and the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people." Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Under his breath he said, Psych! When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no 
more. Now when Herod was dead, dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and he dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. God, we thank you, Lord, at this Christmas week, this holy week, Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, and we ask you now, Holy Spirit, to come. Lord, I pray that you would anoint me to speak, that you would anoint every person to hear, to receive. Father, we pray that this time would supersede my words, Father, that it would be your words into our hearts today. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We are continuing a series today that we have been in for several weeks that we are calling the birth of the Jesus movement. And if you have not been with us over the last couple of weeks, we are looking at the Christmas story kind of through a different lens. And uh, you know, the, as Nate already alluded to, the, one of the challenges of Christmas is that we go every year back to the same story, and uh, oftentimes we lose the reality of it. And so the idea that we are looking at in this series of messages really is that Christmas was not just about a moment 2,000 years ago, that Christmas is not just a time that we kind of stop and remember what was. Christmas is not about just a historical moment, but Christmas is about a movement, It's not just a story we remember, it's a story that we are invited into as God comes into our lives. The story of Jesus coming to the earth is still unfolding through his people all across the world today. And so we've been looking at this Christmas story through the lens of what does this mean to join the Christmas movement, the Jesus movement, to be his people on his mission in the earth. And in the first week we talked about the conception, the divine conception that as the angel said to Mary, the, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you shall conceive. You will conceive in your womb. And we talked about the fact that God's plan and purpose wasn't just for Christ to be conceived in Mary's life 2,000 years ago, but that his plan and purpose is that Jesus would be conceived in your life today. The Apostle Paul says it this way, that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not just Christ coming 2,000 years ago, it's Christ in you that is the hope of glory. And so when God comes into our life, when Jesus comes into our life, there's always a divine conception in our spirit. There's a divine deposit that is is put within our spirit, not only the, the, the salvation and the forgiveness of sins and the new life, but there is also a divine destiny that becomes deposited on the inside of us, a divine calling that comes on the inside of us that will manifest the life of Jesus in the world. 
And so we talked about the divine conception. Then last week we talked about the divine partnership. We looked at the moment when uh, Mary goes to Elizabeth, and the Bible says that as soon as she walked into the room and she began to greet Elizabeth, that the baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt. In other words, what God had put within Mary became a catalyst for what, what was going to be birthed through the life of Elizabeth. And we talked about the fact that God's purpose always requires God's partnership. The story of God is not a solo act, even for Mary. And so for every single one of us, if we're going to accomplish God's purpose in our lives and through our lives, we have to recognize the power of partnership. And today we're going to continue in this series. And today I want to talk, as we've talked about the divine conception, the divine partnership, today I want to talk to you about the divine protection, the divine protection. And I want to look at a character in the Christmas story that, that I would call the forgotten character of Christmas. That's the character of Herod. And, uh, you know, oftentimes we celebrate Christmas we, we have the, you know, maybe in a Christmas play, we have uh, the wise men, we have uh, the shepherds, we've got Mary, baby Jesus, we've got all the characters, but oftentimes nobody is excited to play Herod, right? I mean, we, we would like to just kind of write Herod out of the script of Christmas, right? No parent is ever like, little Johnny, you made a great murderous King Herod, you just did a great job at that, right? Nobody is that excited about Herod. We'd like to, to write him out. I have yet to see the nativity set that includes, you know, all of the cast of characters and then Herod lurking in the background waiting to, to pounce on the baby, right? I mean, it just doesn't happen. We, we don't like the, the story of Herod, Yet the fact is that history will not allow us to forget about Herod. In fact, uh, Dr. Paul Meyer, the professor of ancient history at Western Michigan University, said this, If anyone ever asks you what figure from the ancient world has more primary evidence from original sources than any other figure, so at your Christmas party, if they say, hey, what character from ancient history has more primary sources than any other character? Here's the answer. The answer is not it just, you know, I know those things come up at Christmas parties. The answer is not Jesus, St. Paul, Caesar Augustus, Julius Caesar, or Alexander the Great. The answer is Herod the Great. There's more documentation from original sources about Herod the Great, specifically because Josephus wrote two volumes on the life of Herod the Great. And so history won't allow us to forget about Herod the Great. And not only will history not allow us to forget, but Matthew won't let us forget about Herod the Great. Here, Matthew, the only one of the gospel authors that includes Herod, devotes a whole chapter to Herod and to his plan to destroy the life of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but if I was inventing the Christmas story, I think I'd write Herod out, right? I mean, that does not give me all the Christmas feels. That doesn't make me feel very jolly, right? I'd like to just forget about that. But the reality is that 
Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, talks about Herod and his plan to destroy the work of God. And here's the reason why. It's because in every move of God, there is always resistance. In everything that God does, in every move of God, in every divine destiny that God births into the earth, there is always a Herod in the background seeking to resist the move of God. The story of Christmas isn't that life is perfect when you have Jesus in your life. The story of Christmas is that God in Jesus entered into the brokenness, into the pain, into the agony of humanity. It's not that life is perfect, it's that God is good and He's come to us. And here we find the story of Herod centering in the, or the story of Christmas uh, with Herod right in the middle of it. Certainly not the main character, but a character that cannot be ignored. And I want to talk about him today because I believe that for every single one of us, our ability to fulfill God's divine destiny for our lives will be dependent on how we deal with difficulty. How we deal with the, the, the resistance of the enemy coming into our life. I would love to tell you that the story of Jesus being born was just this miraculous divine conception and then, G and then Mary goes to Elizabeth and they just have this amazing baby shower and she just has an awesome time and the end of the Christmas story is Mary just walking off with a really cool stroller. I'd love to tell you that that's how it goes, but that's not how it goes. It actually ends with Mary and Joseph on the run for their lives. The fact is that oftentimes all of the warm fuzzies that paint the picture of Christmas basically as an eternal moment around the fire with hot cocoa and flannel pajamas, nothing wrong with those things, but that picture was born more out of the marketing department at Hallmark than it was out of the Bible. Again, nothing wrong with flannel pajamas. I'm sorry if that offends you today. But we have to understand that what God does, every time God moves, the enemy always resists. And here in this beautiful moment that had been expected from the beginning of time is, is like every other moment, there is a resistance in the middle of it through Herod. And some of us today at Christmas time, if you're honest, you're celebrating Christmas in all of the joy, but you sense the, the, the pain, you sense the agony of reality because there is a Herod, so to speak, that is attacking your life. You're dealing with the resistance to the divine call and purpose of God on your life. Let me tell you again that just because you face resistance doesn't mean that you're out of God's will. It doesn't mean that you're not moving forward. In fact, the only things that face resistance are things that move forward. And so the move of God will always face resistance. And so I want to give you today a few lessons from the life of Herod that will help us, I believe, to overcome the resistance in order to fulfill God's purpose for our life. The first thing that I want you to see from this story is this, number one, is that what God conceives, the enemy attacks. What God conceives, the enemy attacks. Look at what verse 16 says in the passage we just read. 
It says that when he saw he was deceived by the wise men, when, when Herod realized that the king of the Jews had been born, he was exceedingly angry and he sent forth and put to death all the male children in Bethlehem. He destroyed the, the lives of a whole generation. Now, historically, this was all of the male children in Bethlehem, which is a town of about 1,500 people. And so we're not talking about thousands of babies, but we are talking of perhaps 10 to 15 babies that were killed. The Bible says it this way. Jesus talks about that murderous uh, spirit that, that motivated Herod by saying this, the enemy comes in John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says the, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life to the full. And here we see that resistance of the enemy coming against Jesus, even as a baby. You see, it was a conflict of kingdoms. Everybody was excited about the arrival of the Messiah, the king that had been prophesied. Everybody was excited except the current king of the Jews, right? I mean, it's great news for everybody else that the, the moment that they've been looking for and longing for has come. It's good news for everyone except the current king of the Jews. Herod was authorized by the Roman government to oppress God's people in Israel. And so he, he was a, an oppressive king. And here's oftentimes what happens in all of our lives. When Jesus shows up, it begins to challenge the existing authority that has governed your life. When Jesus comes into your life, the things that you used to feel at peace with, the things that used to seem like you had a good working relationship, perhaps it's habits, perhaps it's mindsets, perhaps it's relationships, those things begin to rise up in opposition to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because it is a conflict of kingdoms. See, the Bible doesn't leave us the room to think that everything is always just merry and bright. It tells us the reality that there is a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness, a kingdom of life and a kingdom of death. It, 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 the Bible describes what I would call the axis of evil. Three things that are a part of that, the axis of evil, it's not a term in the Bible, but is the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is the, the cultural, systematic uh, evil that pervades the world that we live in, that stands in opposition to God's purpose. The flesh is that inward evil, that propensity towards evil that rises up and stands in opposition to God's purpose for your life. The devil is the author of the revolt. He is the author of evil in the world. The axis of evil. Merry Christmas. <laughs> That's why Mark chapter 4 verse 15, Jesus says this. He's talking about the kingdom of God. And he says that when the word of the kingdom comes into our heart, in Mark 4, verse 15, he says that Satan comes immediately. Notice how quickly Satan comes and when Satan comes. He doesn't wait until the seed has taken root, until it's sprung up. He comes immediately. 
Why? Because he knows if he can destroy that divine deposit while it's in seed form, if he can destroy the deposit, he can destroy the destiny. And so the enemy will always come to steal and to kill and to destroy the divine deposit that's been implanted in your heart by God. We've all experienced it. Perhaps you have a moment with God and God gives you a dream for your life. And just within minutes, within moments, in a blink of an eye, discouragement can begin to set in. And you can say, what, what am I even thinking about? It will never happen. Perhaps you've had a call that God has given to you for your life. And, and before long, you begin to feel like, I could never do that. I could never be that. What is that? It's the enemy coming to pluck up the deposit in your heart. Maybe it's God giving you a word for your family or for your future, for the, the destiny he has for your life. And immediately the enemy comes did God say? Did God really say? That's just your own imagination. That's just your own thoughts. You could never do that. What is it? It's the work of the enemy to steal and to kill and to destroy. And I'd love to leave that out of the Christmas story, but Matthew doesn't let us. That's why the Bible says this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard the good deposit, that thing that the Holy Spirit has deposited in you. The dream, the, the call, the, the purpose of God that's been implanted in your spirit. You've got to guard the deposit. Or in the words of Kevin McAllister, this is my house, I have to defend it. <laughs> A little comic relief for you today. So the first thing I want you to see is what God conceives the enemy attacks. The second thing I want you to see is that what the enemy attacks, God protects. If we ended with number one, that wouldn't be good news. That may feel like real, but that's not the total, that's not the total story. Because not only does God, uh, does God conceive, but what the enemy attacks, God protects. Look at what the Bible says in Verse 13 of the passage we read, it says that when they departed, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him, that it might be fulfilled. He goes on to say in verse 15 that this happened, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, out of Egypt I called my son. The biblical context for that statement was a prophecy that had been made by Hosea over 700 years before the birth of Christ. 700 years before the birth of Christ, long before Herod was born, long before the proclamation had been made, the Bible says and it records the prophecy of Hosea that God's son would be called out of Egypt. In other words, long before the attack was ever unleashed, God was already preparing a place of protection. Every time the enemy attacks you, God is already preparing a place of protection. The Bible says this, that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. 
The good news of the gospel is not that life is always easy and fun. It's that when all hell breaks loose against you, there is a place that you can go that is secure, that is unshakable. There is a place of refuge, of safety, of protection and deliverance. And long before, long before Herod launched his attack, God was out in front of him. You see, the enemy, is all, he can only respond to God's plan. He can't come up with anything new, but God is always ahead of the enemy, working out a way of escape. This is what theologians call predestination. I know oftentimes when we hear that word, we think that means that God makes us into robots, that we have no choice, that we, have no, we're, we bear no responsibility for our own lives. But the theology of predestination, the biblical understanding, isn't that you are a robot. It's this, that God's plan for you is secure. That the enemy, regardless of what he throws your way, perhaps there's going to be some veers, perhaps there's going to be some turns, some unexpected ups and downs that you didn't know were coming towards you. But the good news is this, that the destination has already been set. And even as you go through those problems, God's working all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Aren't you thankful for God's grace in our lives? Maybe you feel like, man, 2019 was not what I planned. Maybe you feel like, I'm I'm a little worried about what 2020 has in store for me. Let me tell you this, if you haven't seen it work itself out to good yet, it just means the story's not done. It just means it's not done yet. I love how it says we know all things, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. It doesn't say all things are good. How many of you know not everything in life is good? Pain and death and suffering, disappointment, breaking of relationships, all of these things is not God's plan and purpose for your life. Not everything is good, but even out of those things that aren't good, God can bring good out of those things. This is the Christmas season. My wife's baking a lot of cookies right now. Thank the Lord. And um, she's been making these amazing cookies. And, and the thing about baking, sometimes you walk in and you're like, let me just get a little taste of that. And you don't know where it is in the process. And, uh, you know, you put everything in the bowl. When you bake cookies, you put, I don't know all that goes in, but, uh, you, you know, butter and um, flour and <laughs> sugar and all those, all, you know, the, all those things. Now, how many of you know... How many of you have ever gone up to the bowl and you take or some raw eggs? Maybe you go up and you take a taste of something and, and it's not very good. Because the fact is that none of those things by themselves are very good. Even, even sugar by itself is not very good. What has to happen? It has to get worked together. And your life may be that way. Perhaps you have some things in your life right now that you look at and you feel like, God, you have just forgotten me. The story is ending with Herod in my life. But the Bible gives us the assurance that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Not for just every person, but every person who's living for God's purpose in their lives. And so we see in this story of Herod, we see three times that God gives divine warnings. 
divine warnings, divine warning to the, the wise men, don't go back the way you came, divine warning to Mary and Joseph, flee to Egypt, divine warning when they come back, don't go back to, to Bethlehem, don't go back, go and settle in Nazareth, divine warnings, it's like that GPS seeing that there's traffic ahead, seeing there's an accident ahead and rerouting you. And God will use divine warnings to guide us into his purpose if we are listening to his voice. I had a, a moment that happened several years ago, about 10 years ago, and uh, a moment that God used a divine warning in my life. And uh, it was a moment that I was entering into what ended up being one of the hardest seasons of my life. I, I had some uh, challenges, um, just relational challenges and things that I went through that was a very hard season. And, uh, but the strangest thing happened as I was entering into that season. Uh, one day my dad got a phone call. And um, the phone call, the caller ID showed up that it was one of the associate pastors at our church calling him. He answered expecting to hear the pastor's voice on the other end of the line, but it wasn't the pastor's voice. It was this eerie, weird voice. And to be honest, I hesitate to tell this story because it, it may freak you out, but here is divine warnings, okay? And so he, he answers the phone, and it's not the, the pastor's voice. It's some weird voice that introduces himself by some name that, to be honest, sounds like it came out of the Lord of the Rings or something like that. And it goes on to say, this voice on the line goes on to say, enemy forces have been seen entering your territory. Be careful for your son, Justin. Now, there was things happening at that time that were, that were difficult circumstances that, honestly, I had no ability, we had no ability at that moment to project exactly what was going to happen. Now, again, I told you uh, <laughs> that I hesitate to tell you that because it may freak you out, but here we see divine direction, divine intervention. So my dad tells me that I looked about like you did, like, what the You sure it didn't say be careful for your son, Jarrett? You sure you didn't? I'm pretty sure that would probably be Jarrett. I kind of slept one night, uh, that night with one eye open, like, what is going on? And to be honest, even in hindsight now, was that angelic? Was it demonic? I don't know. But I believe God was guiding us in that moment. And God will guide all of us. The Bible says this, if we have ears to hear, let us hear what the Spirit says to the church. It may not be a strange phone call. We checked the phone records. The phone company had no record of a call even coming to that number. It was the weirdest thing ever. But God may not speak through that way. Maybe He has to speak to you that way if you, if you don't listen in other ways. But God wants to speak to us. You don't know what, what is ahead of you in 2020, but God's already out in 2020. 20, 2020 holds no surprises for God. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And so you can make your plans, but rest assured that even when your plan fails, God doesn't fail. What God conceives, God delivers. What God plans, God protects. And what God protects, prevails. Number three is that what God protects, prevails. What the enemy attacks, God protects. And what God protects, prevails. Look at what the Bible says in verse 23. It says, he came 
closing the story, he came and he dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled. That it might be fulfilled. What was fulfilled? God's plan was fulfilled. Even though the enemy attacked, even, the, uh, even though the enemy sought to resist God's plan and purpose, God's plan was fulfilled. God's plan is always fulfilled for those who submit their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The Bible says this in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, that whatever is born of God, whatever is born of God, in other words, that, that deposit that God has placed within you by the Holy Spirit, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. What is our faith in? Our faith is not in the, the, the idea that everything is easy and life is always good. The reality is we live in a broken world, a hurting world. We're longing for that day that God will return, Jesus will return to establish his kingdom in full. But we have the hope, we have the faith that even now, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of difficulty and resistance, God is good, and He's at work in your future to bring His purpose to pass. I love a story that I've shared before, and it's the story of Bobby Fischer, the chess legend. And in 1972, Bobby Fischer went to the World Chess Championship, and uh, he played against the Soviet champion at that time. And at that time, it was, it was thought that no one will ever beat the Soviets. There, there's no one that could ever beat the, the caliber of players that they had. And uh, so there was a match that was played in Iceland, and Bobby Fischer blew all of the expectations, surprised all of the experts when he beat the Soviet champion. And when he was interviewed afterwards, he told the story of how he had discovered a move that he had never used. He had held on to this move for 17 years. Can you imagine the restraint? Can you imagine the discretion? Can you imagine the forethought and planning to hold on to a chess move when you're playing every day, to keep it in your mind for 17 years for just the right moment? And even greater than that, here we have this moment, as Hosea had prophesied 700 years earlier, God's plan of protection and deliverance from Herod, here we see it unfolding at just the right time. Think about all of the design that as the star comes over and the wise men follow the star at just the right time. And at the cross and the empty tomb, God issued the ultimate checkmate, that once and for all, he has defeated death, he has defeated hell, he's defeated every resistance that can come against you. Therefore, the Bible says, praise be to God who always leads us in triumph. That's the good news of Christmas is not that life is easy, warm, fuzzies, hot chocolate, and flannel pajamas. It's that life is hard, but God has come into this world to deliver us out from it. Aren't you thankful for that? Yes. Would you stand to your feet? Worship team, come back. Let's stand to our feet and give the Lord praise today. Father, thank you.